Good evening, America, and welcome to the story of America. And normally, I have a guest on my show, but I've I've decided to start doing my episode formats a little bit differently, and can go forward with doing the story without guests. And I'll interview guests at a later time on particular issues and add it to the episode later. Um, but before starting this episode, I want to I want to go over something really quickly. My voice is a little bit raspy. I've been doing a lot of different uh, things on Facebook today, so my voice is a little raspy. When I mean when me and my best friend get together. Voice is a little bit higher than usual, and I tend to lose my voice. But I want to—I want to go over a couple of things before I start this episode. This episode's title is, to, uh, is for preserving a nation, but I want to go over a couple of a couple of things here. This is the Declaration of Independence, and I'm going to read the first two paragraphs of the Declaration of Independence, and then I'm going to read the preamble to the Constitution, as I did, these things are important. as it relates to this episode. The Declaration of Independence of the 13 Colonies in Congress, July 4, 1776. The unanimous declaration of the 13 United States of America. When in the course of human events, it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and the nature and of nature's God entitled them, a decent a decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impelled them to the separation. We hold these truths to be self evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life liberty and the pursuit of happiness that to secure these rights governments are instituted among men deriving their powers from the consent of the governed that whenever any form of government becomes destructive of these ends it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it and to institute new government laying its foundation on such principles and organizing its powers in such form as to them shall seem most likely to affect their safety and happiness. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes, and accordingly all experience have shown that, he, that mankind are more disposed to suffer while evils are sufferable than to right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for the future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. The history of the present King of Britain, George III, is a history of repeated injuries and usurpations, all having direct object the establishment of an absolute tyranny over these United States. To prove this, let's let facts be submitted to a candid world. And now I read the preamble to the Constitution. We the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. Before I start this episode, I want you to pay and bear close mind to prudence of absolute despotism. I'm, I'm going to read you the definition of, of a despot. 
I know the definition of desperate. I have with me two dictionaries. I prefer using actual books. I don't I don't like using uh, online dictionaries because they changed the meaning of the words to fit uh, these these lunatics today. This dictionary that I've been reading the Constitution from is a dictionary I've had for a long time. It's a student dictionary that I've had since I was in grade school. It has a lot of things in it. In this dictionary, it defines a despot as follows. Despotic despotism. Despotic. Possessing and abusing unlimited power. Despotism tyranny, dictatorship, repression. Now I will cite the definition given in the World Book Dictionary as it was written in the 70s. It's it's a much bigger book as it is broken up into two volumes within my encyclopedia. So... despot, a monarch having unlimited power, absolute ruler, a person who does just as he likes, one who exercises tyrannical power, tyrant or oppressor, a title meaning master or lord used in Byzantine times to refer to an emperor, or a ruler of one of certain local Byzantine states, a bishop or patriarch in the Greek church, a noble, prince, or military leader in the Italian cities in the 1300s and 1400s. Despot, learned borrowing from medieval Greek, absolute ruler or master, despotic, having unlimited power, tyrannical, despotical, obsolete, despotic, despotically, in a despotic manner of absolute power. Despotism. Government by a monarch having unlimited power. Tyranny or oppression. Absolute power or control. Such as the despotism of the imagination over uncultivated minds. As such, those are the definition of despotism. I want you to keep that in mind as we go forward with this story. Now today's story is a little bit different in its nature, as it is a story that is very modern in our history. I was trying to build up to our modern era of history, but with what has happened in recent years and recent days, and its effects on the future of this country, I feel I have no choice but to deviate from my course for a brief moment before I dive back into the saga on the discovery and expanse of America. The nation must be preserved, and I feel as though the story I am about to tell you will reveal the course of events that have led us to where we are now. Bear in mind, I I wrote this story five months ago. It just takes such a long time to get guests together to do this show. And that's why I decided to start doing it alone. I can talk at great length. But with this, I can keep this within 30 minutes. Or I can do it a little bit longer if I want to. But because of that, I will be making an immediate follow-up episode to this that will not be scripted by story which would be called the death of a nation. As I read the story, you will understand why the follow-up to this episode will be posted immediately after the airing of this one. So where do we begin? Oh, I know. January, 1838. Abraham Lincoln said, and I quote, 
At what point then is the approach of danger to be expected? I answer, if it ever reach us, it must spring up amongst us. It cannot come from abroad. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, we must live through all time or die by suicide. End of quote. And yes, this is a safe place to start, as this is the lot we find ourselves in now, at a crossroads, whether we forsake our homeland or preserve it. Well, then maybe I should be quoting Dr. Benjamin Franklin. He was writing for the Pittsburgh Gazette when he said, join or die, when we were trying to create our union. <laughs> well, in any case, case in point is our nation can only be destroyed from within likewise it can only be preserved from within as well if we would but join together now let's get into this a little bit more history has been known to repeat itself whenever a breed of people forget their history and how convenient it is that we are literally a century transposed from our greatest cataclysmic event. And it seems as though history is following suit. Allow me to explain in further detail. In 1918, influenza stormed the nation. For the first time since our nation's conception, we were afraid. Afraid of the unknown. It was not a war that we could fight or win with weapons, but with still primitive science. And though we overcame the epidemic of 1918 and had given rise to the Roaring Twenties, it was not without the sacrifice of over 500,000 lives lost to the novel virus of 1918. Since then, we had refined our science and our medicines and re-engineered pathogens to wage war on the invisible enemies. From this, we managed to eradicate several viruses, including polio and me measles and smallpox, completely by the late 60s. Though, when speaking of the Roaring Twenties, we often speak of the good times, sometimes even called the American Renaissance. The Twenties were the greatest financial period we had ever seen. The economy that Theodore Roosevelt built, which was preserved and expanded upon by William Howard Taft and later even by the racist Woodrow Wilson, despite the plague of 1918, was increased and more families were elevated to the middle class than at any other point in the history of America. But what happened next led to the greatest series of cataclysms than at any other point in history since. In 1920, Warren G. Harding is elected president. Now Harding, deviating from my story, was a fairly decent president as it turns out when it comes to the lack of spending, as Harding was one of the few presidents that would refuse to spend any money to try to overcome a crisis. Now back to the story. Warren G. Harding is elected president. Harding would appoint the most unprofessional and inexperienced cabinet in the history of the country. He had made promises based on who he knew or what was expected to be needed during the time, and such he appointed his friends and those that had given him political favors or payoffs, the Ohio Gang, as it was called, and as such his office was run by the special interests and not he himself. He was so distraught and stressed that his health began to fail and within two years he died in his administration. His vice president, Calvin Coolidge, took over in 1923. Now Calvin Coolidge was a very good president and he pushed for a more cool-headed administration. But the policies that were started, the exploitation of our jobs, failure to comply with antitrust laws and the breakup of monopolies started under Teddy Roosevelt led to the mass exodus of American jobs and an over-reliance on the stock market. Americans had more investments but fewer savings. They didn't need to save, they thought. The 20s had brought the greatest amount of disposable income America has ever had. 
What they did not account for was that by offshoring our jobs, it meant that if one country decided to screw us, then that would mean that America's economy would dissipate overnight, and that is exactly what happened. In 1928, the market crashed due to changes in leadership abroad. The rise of socialism, communism, fascism, and totalitarianism had given rise in Europe. America's dependence upon imports and automation had doomed us. Panic issued. Homes were lost. Rates were through the roof. People lost their retirements as they were connected to the markets. Yes, to some, it was literally hell on earth. And to make matters worse, <laughs> it was as if through some biblical plague that God himself had decided to punish us. A great windstorm surged the nation at the same time, the Dust Bowl. All of our crops were destroyed. Americans began to go hungry. President Herbert Hoover was ill-equipped due to the plunders of previous administrations to avert the crisis. And with his Hoover shacks and Hoover, da Hoover dams and Hoover shanties, he struck the final nail in his coffin. Americans wanted change in leadership. And so for the first time in more than a decade, Americans had elected a Democrat president. But not just any president. Not just any Democrat, rather. Perhaps the most important and influential Democrat in America's history. 1933, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, Theodore Roosevelt's younger cousin, was sworn into office. FDR was a real government shaker, much like his cousin before him. When he came into power, he had a vision to end the crisis at hand. His vision, the New Deal, would implement many overhauling staples in America today, much of which was built upon by the existing policy set in place by his cousin, Theodore Roosevelt, several decades prior. One of these such policies, in order to jumpstart the economy, which was deficit spending, was implemented for the first time with the intention of being temporary, as were many of FDR's policies within the New Deal. Though its intentions were good, these policies laid the framework for the welfare state, so many of us now depend on, and even wish to expand despite its detriments. And while this may seem to align with the preamble of our Constitution, it is quite the it is quite the my words up it is quite the contrary of what it means to promote the general welfare. To promote means to advance or further the progression of something. Though the welfare state has done the exact opposite, it has been a massive regression of traditional laissez-faire policy. Though I could go on and on and on about the welfare state, that will be a story for another time. For now, I'll focus on the policies that have laid the groundwork for whether we live or die as a nation of free men. Within the New Deal itself contains FDR's alphabet soup of policies. As of all things done with the best intentions, it had made nearly, if not everything, significantly worse. The creation of regulation after regulation after regulation in order to try to hinder the fall of the nation led to a stifled and halted recovery. The concept of basis that governments should regulate and spend obtusely, you could say, called its bearings here. Deficit spending was the greatest of FDR's well-intended disasters. The idea of borrowing money against self to preserve self, spoken aloud, sounds brilliant. But on paper, you realize just how fundamentally ridiculous it is. The very notion of the idea. How is it that you can borrow money from yourself yet still wound up in debt? It's like taking a loan you can't afford to be temporarily, to temporarily relieve you from what seemed a greater bill at the time, which it just so happens that bill, if you would do nothing, would have handled itself whether you did anything at all. I should know as I have been a victim of such poor decision making myself. 
Moving on from deficit spending, as I don't think there's enough time left in my relatively short lifespan to completely discuss the issues of deficit spending, and I am 26 years of age, to the issues which have brought us to where we are today. The World Trade Organization and the Council of the Geneva Accords. These two creations, which were byproducts of the end of the Second World War, almost are wholly the reasoning as to why we are finding ourselves at the crosshairs of historic failure. While under nearly every president prior to FDR, hell even FDR himself, were happy to allow Americas to operate independent of the world. That is not to say that we would not aid our allies or pay attention to looming threats, but rather it would be aid without intervention or American presence. Then after World War II and the formation of the United Nations and its many faculties, including the World Trade Organization, America was dragged into a permanent role of babysitting the rest of the world, with a particular interest on Europe and Asia. American presidents and Congress as a whole, who were originally reluctant to go to war, much less start one, to the point that this reluctancy had almost prevented the very birth of this great nation. They had now become more than eager to start and wage wars, all in the interest of the greater good, or even worse, America's common defense. Now this excludes the Cold War, as I believe that was necessary to place America as the premier superpower and in preventing an early World War III. But these others were no help to us, nor the nations whose intent, whose interests they were to promote. Despite being the most powerful country in the world and the supposed leader of the world, Yet here we are, the ones taking orders from those who do not have our best interest at heart. Then came the entrance of China into the World Trade Organization. And with it, the next Cold War, of which America has willingly allowed itself to be defeated. The rules of the World Trade Organization allowed China to take advantage of third world country clauses despite having an economy several times that of several other nations within the United Nations itself. This prevented or rather had governments refuse to tax China or hold them accountable for any deals they had committed or any crimes they had committed for that reason. And so, for more than three decades, our politicians have made it easy to offshore our security once again, but to a vastly larger degree than it has ever been since the age of imperialism. The lesson learned a hundred years ago seemed to, like so much, have been completely forgotten. Even more so now today, we are on the precipice of a nation destroyed as our people fight against what is right and protest for what is wrong. They scream for social justice while they ignore the blight, chaos, and death that they bring. We are a nation divided by truths and ideals. Reality is bent to ignorant interlopers because the ones with power have bowed to the new overlords. America her people is dying. She screams as the liberty we bled for is stripped from us. She cries as her children robbed their prosperity. She bleeds as her own have betrayed her sovereign to others. America is a country worth saving, a country worth preserving. But more and more it seems that in my lifetime, America will be lost forever. The country I grew up in was always filled with love and hope, and every lesson I learned was to advance towards a brighter future. Now the future that I was to mold for myself is to be given to me anew by those who know me not, nor my interest. 
How is it that in less than 30 years, the America that I knew is completely the opposite to what I remember? I have said before that America will wage a great civil war not fought with arms but with ideals. But it seems as though the ideals of the wicked have already won the battle. But rest assured that the war is not yet over, nor was the battle ever ours to fight to begin with. As a Christian man, I say we are to preserve the freedom of, our, of God by preserving the, this our country, the greatest free nation to ever lay brick upon the earth. As I said in the olden times, God save the king. I say now, God save America. For the preservation of our nation is but another tale in the great story of America. Tell me what you think of my story on Facebook. I don't use Twitter. I will be creating a parlor account later on to which you will be able to also tell me your thoughts of the story and the episode. Pretty soon I'm going to be going to commercial break here as I'm reaching uh, one of my recording limits since I'm not using my recording software. I'm recording directly from our sponsor of this episode which is Anchor the platform that I use to create my show and the platform that you can use to create yours Anchor offers free services to allow you to get your message out to anyone and you'll hear that in the commercial coming up but while I'm waiting on on going to commercial let me talk a little bit here let me open up there the Constitution. The Declaration of Independence to be more specific. Yet again. I want to point this point out again because I think it's important. It says that whenever any form of government becomes destructive to these ends, talking about these unalienable rights, it is the right of the people to alter or to abolish it. Let me skip down here. Prudence indeed will dictate that governments long established should not be changed for light and transient causes. 242 years we have had the same rules in effect and in place in our halls of Congress. And for light and transient causes, they were just changed recently to prevent us from being able to have due justice. Let me continue, let me continue reading here. And accordingly, all experience have shown that mankind are more disposed to suffer or evils are sufferable than the right themselves by abolishing the forms to which they are accustomed. It's going to be difficult. In preserving this nation, it will be difficult. When we now have a media, tech oligarchs, when they have suppressed the voice of the American people. But we are used to, we are accustomed to, and comfortable with the platforms that we utilize. Google, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, these things which are implemented into our phones without our knowledge, without our say-so. And they're at our very fingertips. We are, we are comfortable with them. And so, because of these things, it is difficult for us to break free from those things. But here's the most important part before we go to commercial. But when a long train of abuses and usurpations pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism, it is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and provide new guards for their future security. 
such is the patient sufferance of these colonies, and such is now the necessity which constrains them to all. Welcome back from our brief commercial break. We're, we'll have maybe two or three more of those during the show. As, as I was reading here in this, uh, our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, to be more specific, under apt to reduce them under absolute despotism. What is a one-party state? Which is where we're going, by the way. A one-party state is absolute despotism. Let me let me see if I... I'm not sure if a one-party state was something that was even procured or thought of in the 70s when the World Book was written and given, because I, I prefer this dictionary to, to practically all dictionaries as it has every word that I would ever need. I know what, what what a one-party state is, but I want to see if they had defined it in, in any ways or such. talk about it in detail then one party state a one party state is the definition of despotism under our system of republic when I read the definition of despotism it talked about dictatorship and tyranny in monarchs a lot of people are like, well, we don't have a monarch in America. How can it be despotism? Well, let me take you back again to the Declaration of Independence and listen carefully to this part here. It says right here, after we get to the part where we talk about these unalienable rights, it says that to, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted amongst men, deriving their just powers from the consent of of the governed that part right there establishes us as a democratic republic we have given consent to government to be our voice to lead us now when they decide to go against what we the people have decided and pushed for then they become despots when they create a one party state where the people can never have another voice again they become a one party state despotism of that sort of that nature was supposed to be protected against in our constitution example Article 1 of the Constitution is the article which creates the legislative branch. In Section 2 of the Constitution of Article 1, the House of Representatives shall be composed of members chosen every second year by the people of the several states and the electors in each state shall have shall the qualifications uh, requisite for electors of the most numerous branch of the state legislature. Now moving down to the fourth paragraph of section 2 the actual enumeration shall be made within three years after the first meeting of the Congress of the United States and within every subsequent term of ten years in such manner 
as they shall by law direct. The number of representatives shall not exceed one for every 30,000, but each state shall have at least one representative. And until such enumeration shall be made, the state of New Hampshire shall be entitled to choose three, Massachusetts eight, Rhode Island, and the Providence Plantations one, Connecticut five, New York six, New Jersey four, Pennsylvania eight, Delaware one, Maryland six, Virginia ten, North Carolina five, South Carolina five, and Georgia three. This creates our system for the census as to how we count the amount of people in our country. This is the numeration clause. Now, Section 3 creates the Senate, which you could talk about for a great, at great length. But what I, what I want to focus on in this is Section 5. Each house shall be the judge of the elections, returns, and qualifications of its own members, and a majority of each shall constitute a quorum to do business. But smaller number may adjourn from day to day, and may be authorized to compel the attendance of absent members in such manner and under such penalties as each house may provide. Okay? Each house may determine the rules of its proceedings, punishes members for disorderly behavior, and with the concurrence of two-thirds, expel a member. Now, see, here's where the problem lies in. When you have a one-party state, the rules are made by one, by one person. That's despotism. That's tyranny. The rules are made by one person and applied only to the minority and never to the majority. So in in preserving a nation, you have to be able to prevent this from happening. Let Let me go on. There's a lot of things in the in Article One of the Constitution that I can get into. But see, in Article Two of the Constitution, in Paragraph Three, it says that the electors shall meet with the in, in their respective states and vote by ballot for two persons to whom one at least shall not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves and they shall make a list of all the persons voted for and the number of votes of each which list they shall sign and certify and transmit sealed to the seat of the government of the United States directed to the president of the senate the president of the senate shall in the presence of the senate and house representatives open all certificates and the votes shall be counted the person having the greatest number of votes shall be president if such number be the be a majority of the whole number of electors appointed and if there be none who have such majority and have an equal number of votes then the, House of Repres- then the House of Representatives shall immediately choose by ballot one of them for president. And if in and if in like manner choose the president, but in choosing the president, the votes shall be taken by states. The representation from each state having one vote, a quorum for this purpose shall consist of a member or members from two-thirds of the states and a majority of all states shall be necessary to a choice. In every case after the choice of the president, the person having the greatest number of votes of the electors shall be the vice president. But if there should remain two or more who have equal votes, the Senate shall choose from them by ballot the vice president. The Congress may determine the time of choosing electors 
and the day on which they shall give their votes, which day shall be the same throughout the United States. This has been the same since the conception of our country. But in recent days, this, this has been changed to where now just to be able to contest it has to be majority of both the house and the senate now when I say preserving a nation to prevent absolute despotism in May of 2020 when they should have been passing legislation to aid the American people amid the pandemic after they ridiculously shut down our country for no reason at all for a virus they didn't shut us down for swine flu even though it killed more people if you go by what the CDC's numbers were saying then that's 750,000 versus what they say now of around 17,000 and you go by what the CDC numbers say for COVID on a website it was 10,000 a little over but then the media reports 350,000 the CDC's website clearly says that people with no more with no comorbidities it's just over 10,000 but they used the number 300,000 to fear monger and scare the American people keep them in a state of fear because they're easier to control when they are in a state of panic in a state of fear in May of 2020 Democrat politicians instead of aiding the American people passed a bill in secrecy in the House of Representatives that would make Washington D.C. and Puerto Rico and the Isle of Samoa states of the United States of America this with the purpose of granting them a permanent supermajority within the House and the Senate effectively creating a one-party state a dictatorship that would take decades to topple now the Republican Party is split and I've seen numbers that would suggest that up to 30% of people who have voted Republican will never vote in an election cycle again as they feel their vote was disqualified and not and didn't count for much because of the fraud that happened in our election cycle and the last time the Republican Party was split in his vote in 1914, Theodore Roosevelt created the Progressive Party to, to run against William Howard Taft, who was the nominee for the Republican Party. And as a result of the splitting of the ticket, Woodrow Wilson won virtually every state in the Union with a landslide of more than 472 electoral votes. With the party being split, the, and the American people have lost, have losing confidence, and being demoralized, and refusing to vote, the one-party system is all but complete, and absolute despotism is guaranteed. So, how do we preserve our nation from here? Is the question. Preserving the nation requires that the idea of America persist. That the idea that America is the greatest country to ever exist persist. Without the idea, you can wage a civil war if you want. But without the idea of America as the nation of freedom and the place where liberty was born, without that idea, without that concept, any war that is waged 
whether it be with words or with arms, will be meaningless or pointless bloodshed. As without the idea, it does not matter the length to which you fight the war, you will never be able to win because the idea has not taken root. We now live in a country today where more people are more favorable of the socialist Soviet Republic's constitution than they are the United States Constitution. They would purport to say that we ought to have a living wage, which they mean to say that you are to be punished for daring to be successful. I give an example of living wage and how it makes no sense and how it goes against the very foundation of the Constitution of the United States and the preamble of the Constitution to promote for the general welfare. Those of you that are listening to this show, and I know there aren't many because this is just starting up, my voice is small. I hope it grows, but for now my voice is small, and it doesn't get shared a lot, because unfortunately the people that listen to my show, the people that watch my show, they don't share it because they don't want people to hear the information. They don't share it because they refuse to embrace the truth. But the simple fact of the matter is... is that a living wage means that me that I for instance if I live in a home where I only have to pay $400 a month for my rent or I live in a home where I only have to pay $700 a month for my rent and you my viewer live in a home that you have to pay $1000 a month for yours but you have a lot more skill sets than I do. You see, I'm a financier by my trade. I'm a paleontologist by my study. I'm a scholar by my research. And though I can do all of the things when it comes to insurance and technicalities, I can write up contracts. I can teach you how to invest and save money those things are all commission-based jobs which are wonderful wonderful high-paying jobs very hard work but when it comes down to putting up sheetrock or laying pipe putting wires in electrician electrician work construction working a shipyard welding things of that nature I have no skill set in that but you may have a skill set in that how would you feel if I were to come to your line of business having no skills having no ability to know how to do what it is that you do what you prepared your life for and I come in with no skill no knowledge of how to do the job at all and make the same if not more money than what you are not knowing how to do any of it would you would be punished for daring to be successful or I would be promoted for being ignorant and choosing not to learn those skills or for instance my house costs 600 bucks yours costs a thousand I can get by comfortably on $2,000 a month at a sick of $600 I've done it before I can get by comfortably and save a lot of money that's a living wage for me but is that a living wage for you 
a thousand dollars a month can you survive comfortably on two thousand a thousand dollars is for your rent what about your car note and your insurances your children and feeding yourself is that a living wage for you was a living wage for me so a living wage which they purport to be $15 an hour $15 an hour may be nothing for you but it may be too much for me the minimum wage system as I said I could talk about this for a long time the minimum wage system destroyed the need to be competitive in hiring you know we're used to when you went to a job you negotiated for the price tag that you are worth but with minimum wage that negotiation is removed you now already have a set price you don't get to tell your employer how much you're worth because they already have a price tag on you. Despite the skills that you have, you may be worth more than $15 an hour because you have the skills. But because they already have a price tag of $15 an hour, they don't need you to, to tell them what you're worth anymore. And so you have to start at the bottom of the ladder and work your way up at a price tag equal to somebody that has no skill in the trade that you have. How is that fair? How is that equality? How is that equity? It isn't. It's tyranny. It is what it means to be under absolute despotism. And talking of preserving the nation of the United States, we've been here before. In the Revolutionary War, in the Civil War, in the Cold War. We've been here before, but we've never been here as we are now. Where the reason why we are in the particular, at the particular crossroads that we are at now is because our educational system has been hijacked. It's been overtaken. We have generations that are coming up that hate our country. We have generations coming up that hate our God. You know, in The Art of War, written by Sun Tzu, it says that once you destroy the religion, you destroy the nation. And is that not what has been done? The religion is gone. The love of God is defeated. And normally I don't make my shows explicit. But I have to. When you have lunatics in the streets chanting, Fuck your Jesus. When you have morons saying, Keep God out of California. Keep God out of America. Keep God out of our schools. When you have politicians refusing to say in our Pledge of Allegiance, one nation under God. When you have politicians who claim to be pastors ending prayers with a man and a woman. And using phrases as such as we pray to the monotheistic God Brahma to end their prayer. They have done everything that they can to subvert our religion and destroy the very moral compass of our nation. The very glue that holds us together has always been the morality that our religion brings. Two things hold a country together more than anything. It's religion and it's language. A national religion and a national language holds a country together more than anything because it is something that we can all agree on. Something that we all have a common interest and a common likeness in. But when you destroy that and create sub-parties and sub-committees 
within the greater committee, or as Theodore Roosevelt was said, you create hyphenated Americans, then you have divided the nation into these different hyphenated groups, and there is no unity. And so it becomes harder to preserve the nation as a result because the nation is divided into different nations. Black America, White America, Native America, Hispanic America, Asian America. Instead of just being America, America, America is America hyphenated. And this becomes most difficult for us to be able to preserve our country as a result. So, I pose the question as we are going to end this at an hour. How do we preserve our nation in this day and age? Well, from, well number one, if you want to preserve the nation, first, you have to be willing to stand up and speak out, tell the truth whenever necessary, and do not be afraid of the consequences of it. Number two, you have to be willing to fight back. And I don't mean with violence, though sometimes violence is necessary, if violence is used on you, should I say. But you have to be willing to fight back. Don't allow yourself to be run, run over, pushed, pushed around, used and abused. Number three, split the parties. The only way America can rule as an absolute despot is under one party rule. Split the parties. Create more than one party. Create more than two. Create more than three. Split the parties. When you split the parties, they lose the ability to create a one party system. And therefore, you've created a system of checks and balances, a a game of rock, paper, scissors to which no side can ever truly be the majority because they will never have enough votes to get over the line without getting some from the other sides. A reluctant government a reluctant government is the only way to keep laissez-faire policy in line government too eager to act is government that abuses its power now number four in preserving a nation re-educate education is the cornerstone for which all things are made and all things are formed if you destroy the the foundation of a child's mind to destroy the foundation of a nation's mind by indoctrinating them at an early age with a hatred of the country and a hatred of everything it means to be an American then you have already sown the seeds of division and the hatred that would destroy the nation so if you want to preserve the nation you have to be willing to stand up and fight and re-educate your children re-educate the nation and give not an inch until you have done so. And number five, invoke God whenever possible. We are one nation under God, indivisible of liberty and justice for all. If we want to stay alive as a nation of free men, then we must salute and praise our God throughout all time. If we cannot do this, if we betray and turn our backs to God, 
he will pull his grace from us and without his grace and mercy our country can never stand this has been the story of america of deandre pace i hope you have been able to listen and learn i would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and stay tuned because this episode will be used to interview quite a few people in coming months thank you for your time and thank you for listening to this 